um, zero through fifth grade, you are dismissed at this time. I don't believe we have many here because a lot of them are at open house. But I want to welcome you. We're in a series called Real Conversations. Um, and it's been a great series so far. Um, and today the topic is going to be something a little bit controversial as the, the others have been as well. I believe that America divides itself into two. Those who belong and those who do not belong. Some would say that you belong in America if you are a citizen. And if you're not, you are on the outside, you are a stranger. And so for those uh, 7.1% of the people who live in America who are not citizens, many would say that you are a stranger here, you're on the outside. Some would say that uh, you really belong if you are native-born citizen who happen to be white. And so if you are one of the 13% uh, who live in America but were foreign-born, they would say perhaps you are a stranger. Or if you're part of the 37.4% of those who are non-white minorities, they would be considered strangers or foreigners. Still others would say that only the ones who are legally documented belong here and those who are undocumented or 3.2%, three out of every 100 people uh, do not belong. Whatever the line that we may draw, the tension exists of those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. And it's no wonder that in this uh, upcoming election 2020, one of the most divisive hot topic is that of immigration. It's not just uh, that for politicians, but even for Christians. And what is surprising is that in a 2010 uh, Pew poll, uh, among white evangelicals, uh, only 12% formed their opinions about immigration through the lens of the Bible, meaning 88% of uh, the white evangelicals formed their opinions on the issue just through culture and news and things of that nature. Well, my goal today isn't to give the final answer, to reveal all tensions, or even share with you my personal opinion on the matter. I don't believe it is even possible or necessary. My goal for today is this. As a teacher of the Bible, I'm going to give you what I believe the Bible says about the issue, and not any more than that. But before I continue, I want to give you seven uh, statements that Christians uh, make. Even sometimes Christian writers and leaders, bloggers, and on the, um, the speaking circuit, uh, they would say these things as if they were absolute propositions. And though they may have elements of truth to them, they are not absolute propositions. For example, the U.S. Should, allow, uh, should follow Old Testament laws. Much of the Old Testament laws were given to the nation of Israel, and Israel was a theocracy. The United States government is not a theocracy, but a pluralistic society, and we cannot apply a, a Judeo-Christian set of laws to a pluralistic society although there's much to learn from it. Another statement is that Jesus was an illegal alien. 
You know, it is true that Jesus and his parents fled Israel into Egypt and they were a sort of refugee at that time, but it is inaccurate technically to say that Jesus was an illegal alien and one of the reasons being is that national borders and immigration and things of that, like, um, of that nature just didn't exist in the same way that they do today. Thirdly, nations should never build walls. I know this is a strange thing for me to say, uh, but I, you know, people sometimes say this as if it's coming from the Bible, but if you read the book of Nehemiah, it's all about building the wall. Fourthly, God designed national identities. You know, it is true that God designed the beauty of ethnic differences, but nowhere in Scripture does the Bible um, define nations as having mono-ethnic identities. Fifthly, Christians should always obey the law, and we will find out that God does command us to obey the law, but there are times when God says, don't obey the law. Sixthly, God calls all Christians to become political activists or to not become political activists. And depending on where you come from, you may think that the church should get more involved in politics or less involved with politics. When we search the scripture, we find um, Christians or, or uh, followers of God being very involved with political actions and others who step back. And the last thing that I want to say is this. Uh, a lot of people believe that scripture answers all of our political tensions. That if we sometimes look at the Bible as some sort of a manual to give us answers to everything, but it's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the scripture gives us a picture, a big picture of the heart of God and expect us to obey the big clear commands of God and apply them in the midst of tension. So, what does the scripture say about the issue of immigration and undocumented uh, people? There are two broad principles at play here, and they're at tensions with one another. The first principle is that we are called to obey the law, and the opposing tension is the call to be compassionate. Obey the law and be compassionate. Let's look at the first is to obey the law. Even when there is a personal cause, there is a clear mandate from scriptures for Christians to obey the law, regardless of whether they feel like the, the laws are fair or burdensome. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person, uh, whether you're on the inside or on the outside, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And I want us to be clear here. As much as sometimes people complain about the United States government, or a, a, a government like China, the empire of Rome was much more oppressive and unfair to those whom it uh, ruled over. Christ was at, asked at one time, should we pay uh, taxes to Caesar? And this was in Jerusalem. And, and they would have to pay unfair taxes uh, where they had no say in how the tax money is spent, nor would they derive benefit from, from the taxes they paid. 
Jesus would ask, well, show me your coin, which had a, an image of Caesar. And Jesus says in Romans 22, 21, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Regardless of whether we feel like the law is being fair or just or moral or immoral, we are to obey the law even at a personal cost. By the way, this cuts both ways. For the, uh, regardless of you know, what your political leanings may be, uh, there are times when in your political leanings you feel like the government is doing the opposite. So whether you are in agreement with it or not, our uh, broad mandate is to obey the government. But we know also from Scripture there are times and we are called to disobey or even confront the law. In Acts chapter 5, Peter was told by the local religious authorities to not preach the gospel, but in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. In similar ways, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed Nebuchadnezzar's command uh, to, uh, to worship a golden image and were thrown into the furnace. Daniel uh, disobeyed Darius's command um, and was thrown into the lion's den. The midwives in Egypt, the uh, Rahab in Jericho, and the Magi in Jerusalem all defied their authorities to preserve life. And so this kind of gives us a template that there are times when we need to obey God's principles rather than the local laws or the laws of the nation. But here's the problem. So if the big mandate is to obey the law and we are given this kind of a, uh, an out clause that we believe there are times when we can disobey the law, the problem is that we use this out clause, this exception clause, when it's to our advantage or it, if it ministers to people like us. So let me give you uh, some examples of laws that do exist or have existed, and how would you feel about whether we need to obey these laws? You know, um, our church is in the city of Brea. A lot of you live in the city of Brea. So the, the city of Brea was uh, incorporated in the year 1917, but it did not have a single black resident until the year 1940. And the reason being is that uh, this local city had what is known as a sundown ordinance in which non-white people were not allowed to be in Brea after 6 p.m. So you couldn't live here. Uh, attend here in the evening, a worship service, uh, or visit a friend here in the evening. They also had a restrictive clause or a covenant that was written into different people's deeds. And it, uh, wrote, uh, it read something like this. No part of the set premises shall ever be sold, conveyed, transferred, leased, or rented to any person of African, Chinese, or Japanese descent. And I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not Japanese or Chinese, I'm Korean, so I must be okay. No, I mean, back then, uh, we were all non-white. And so you couldn't lease an apartment back then in the city of Brea or live here. 
would you feel like it is an ordinance, a law that you have to obey as a Christian, or would you confront it? I see many Christians in the United States actively and openly advocating for the disobedience of the Chinese government. And they feel like Christians could openly uh, disobey and confront the Chinese government for some of the things that it does. For example, uh, the Chinese government engages in the political political battle with the citizens of Hong Kong who are so worried that the mainland Chinese government will take away some of the freedom that the Hong Kong residents have had. Or as uh, as the Chinese government has uh, uh, put into internment camps about a million Uyghur Muslims for being so-called a threat to China. Or the Chinese government, by sending North Korean refugees back into North Korea. By the way, this is a picture, if you can look at the picture here, of some North Korean families in China desperately trying to enter into a Japanese consulate office. If you ever get a chance to look at the video, it is heartbreaking. We would look at that video or the picture and say, what's wrong with those Chinese government, the Chinese um, authorities? And as Christians, are we not uh, supposed to not only allow the North Koreans to escape, but even aid them? So, although we're called as a mandate to obey the government, there's a part of us, because it affects us personally or affects people that are similar to us, we feel like it gives us greater liberty to disobey. And I know that we kind of, if I, once I point, it, point that out, you realize, oh yeah, I do do that. But you also realize the further those people are removed from who we are, the less sympathetic we get. And here's the opposing side of the tension. With it. On the one side, we are called to obey the law. On the other side, we are called to be compassionate. We are called to be compassionate, especially to those who are powerless and different. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that kind of describe those who are strangers or aliens. The first word is ger, which is uh, translated as sojourner, someone who uh, doesn't necessarily belong here, but who, are, who live here kind of on a permanent basis. Or the other word is nokri, Uh, which is often translated as a stranger. They're here uh, on a temporary basis. And this is, uh, these are some of God's command to the Hebrews and how they ought to treat the strangers and sojourners. Leviticus 19, 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you and you shall love him as yourself. Deuteronomy 24, 17 You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. And finally, Zechariah 7.10, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And the reason God had to kind of say this is because uh, God knew that insiders will have a propensity to mistreat, to neglect, and even to take advantage of those who are strangers among them. Especially the powerless and different. 
In their culture, the powerless and the different were the orphans and the widows and the strangers. And so God reminds them to show justice, which means don't take advantage of them by the authority and the insider status that you have. And show compassion, be proactive in your love for them. There's a verse in the Old Testament that I find compelling. It, it's a verse that if you were reading through the Old Testament, you would just kind of read it through without thinking too much about it. But I find it compelling, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. I want you to take a look at this verse with me. It is not a call by God for governments to show compassion to the poor or to the strangers in the land, but individuals who have resource, who are on the inside, who can leverage their wealth by not trying to maximize their profit, by, uh, by uh, reaping their field all the way to the edges, by leaving the edges to the poor, and to the aliens who are in the land. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is translated kind of as a foreigner, as an alien, is the word xenos. It is the word we get xenophobia, which means a fear of strangers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul writes to uh, the pastor Timothy, and he lays out the characteristics that uh, is necessary of an elder. He writes many things that one of the, the characteristics that an elder is supposed to possess is that of hospitality. An elder must be hospitable. We often kind of look at that and, and think, oh yeah, then an elder must be able to open up their home and let the cell groups in and, and, and love to party. It's like an extrovert. The Greek word Hospitable is a combination of two words. Um, it is uh, philos and xenon, a love of the strangers or love of the foreigners or the aliens. An elder is not simply someone who loves to open up their house, but an elder is someone who is supposed to be able to love someone who is different from them. Here's the Christian tension, though. God reminds the Hebrews in the Old Testament why they need to be systematically compassionate. In Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the strangers who soldiers with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself for, because, listen, you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24.17 uh, and 18 you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. He reminds them you need to be compassionate, be just to the stranger among you because you were a stranger. When Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he reminds them, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exile. He tells Christians that we as Christians are actually strangers in this land. We don't belong here because our citizenship is, in actual, is actually in heaven. I want to give you two things that I want you to remember. 
It is in the, in the midst of this tension of being, uh, obeying the law and being compassionate. I want you to remember that um, as, uh, part, as someone who lives in America, America is not like the Roman Empire or in other parts of the world, but as a democracy, we have a say-so in the kind of laws that get enacted in this nation. So not only are we citizens, but we're almost authorities by our ability to vote. Not only so then should we obey the law regardless of personal sacrifice, but we ought to leverage the law, especially for those who are powerless and different. The second thing I want to remind us is, as, as Christians who live in this tension is uh, that we be compassionate even when there's a personal sacrifice. We can't simply demand the government or others to be compassionate, but the repeated the call of scripture is that we be compassionate. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the Samaritan himself who personally sacrificed for the injured individual. You know, we, um, what, what, what scripture is oftentimes telling us is that we need to be compassionate to the strangers because we are strangers. We need to be uh, compassionate to the strangers because as Christians, we don't really belong here as well. But the person who was ultimately different, Jesus, gives this particular story as he talks about the difference between Christians and non-Christians, uh, of the sheep and the goats. In Matthew chapter 25, the way that he distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian is how they treat strangers, and the powerless. Verse 35, he talks to the sheep, for I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. The word stranger here is xenos. He's not talking about someone whom you just did not know beforehand, but you welcomed the alien, the foreigner, and to the goat, the non-Christians, he says in verse 42 on, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, a xenon, a foreigner, an alien, and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you, then he will say to them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And so here's the overriding approach as strangers worshiping a Jesus who was at one time a stranger in this land, that we ought to be compassionate even at great personal sacrifice. Uh, you know, today, it's kind of unique because we have, we have three people talking and all three of us are strangers in some way. I was born in Korea and I immigrated here when I was nine years old. And there's still an otherliness part of me being in America. Uh, there's a, always a hyphenated part of as a Korean American. Uh, we're going to hear also from Heidi, who immigrated here uh, when she was five years old. 
But there's a, a reason why she feels like she's a stranger in this land, and you'll hear from her. And the third person that we'll hear from is Joy Kim, and she actually was born and, ra- and grew up a part of her life in North Korea. And she escaped into China and was a stranger in China for a period of time and, and in ways that you will uh, hear and, uh, by the virt- uh, help of Link Liberty in North Korea. She is um, now residing in South Korea um, th- she's here with three others who, and you know, you've heard kind of stories of people escaping North Korea. Um, and there are four of them here today and they're fellows um, and talking about their experience. They all have their unique stories. And, and Joy, can, can all four of you stand up? These are all um, uh, Link fellows and they all have their stories. Let's welcome them. And they will be here um, after the service and out in the main hall. I want you to just come say hello to them um, and hear their story. And so I'm going to turn over the stage now to Heidi and then Joy. Will you welcome Heidi? Um, hello, Living.